1: Be back with you again and a uh, beautiful fresh autumnal day it was today out and about. Got out for a walk around the Castle Park around lunchtime and oh, it was lovely leaves turning. That goes gorgeous, reddish, russet, brown, orangey, autumnal colours and everything, and a nice bit of sunshine. So, yeah, all in all, a very pleasant day. So, hope we've been enjoying your listening here with us on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, and we'll stick with us for the next hour or so, anyway, to the top of the hour and then on into the evening uh, after myself with the, the uh, Angelus and the Community Diary at the top of the hour. Talk Sports, Communities in Action, Seamus Brophy, and New and Olds. We'll dance classics all the way through till uh, midnight tonight here on Community Radio Kilkenny City. Um, We'll have the weather, of course, in the middle of the show. We won't have any parish news today um, because of pandemic restrictions which look as if they're going to continue. If not get even tighter in the next few weeks, but we'll park that for the moment on today's show. Um, no particular specific COVID talk. Well, there might be a little bit in the middle of it, but uh, we'll try and keep away from it as much as we can. Um, this week is um, National Fostering Recruitment Week. So I've kind of um, put together a show to bookending the show today at the start and at the end with uh, things to do with uh, fostering of different types and uh, we'll be hearing from Thomas Dunning who's a um, principal social worker from Thucela's Separated Children Seeking Asylum team um, later on in the show about quarter to six um, we'll be hearing from Eilish Walklet, uh, a youth worker with Osra Youth, in the middle of the show, probably after the ad break and the weather. Um, but to kick us off on today's show, I'm delighted to welcome back a woman I've spoken to on the show before, quite a while ago. I can't quite remember when, but maybe um, Joan Ryan will be able to enlighten me as to when was the last time we were talking, Joan. And welcome, by the way. Around this
0: time last year, Morris.
1: Was it? There must have been some uh, occasion or something. But anyway. Well,
0: oh, I spoke to you again for this particular week um, about promoting the
1: fostering again and and looking for foster carers to apply. Yeah, well, you're still in. I, I won't call it a business in the activity anyway, and in the yeah, in the mm. the, the activity of um, providing fostering. And I know you mentioned to me off air earlier on that um, you've been told anyway that you've uh, so far. Uh, over a long number of years, I, I assume, fostered more than 50 different children. You should be getting medals and pins and badges like they do for the... Um <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is, Morris, the tea <laughs> Morris, did I not tell you
0: I have gold watches and clocks and everything here? Oh, sure. <laughs> no, I haven't. You better not. <laughs> no, I haven't.
1: No. You're only inviting burglars in to visit your home. You don't want that. <laughs> whatever about uh, foster, foster yeah. children. Um, speaking of the, of the 50 or over 50 or whatever number it is, Joan, like it obviously goes back quite a number of years. Um, can you recall the very, very first one for us and how you felt at the prospect of fostering a young person?
0: Um, The very first baby that came into the house, I was approved by the FCC, the foster care committee, on a Tuesday and the assistant social worker came out to me that Tuesday, or yeah, on the Tuesday evening, or maybe the next day, I can't remember, was the FCC on the Monday, and he came out on the Tuesday evening and uh, he told me that I had been approved and he asked me how was I fixed to take a a newborn baby the next day. Gosh, the next day? The next Ooh, day. gosh,
1: they didn't give you much by way of notice or preparation no, to get your head around no. it, did they?
0: And, and And I hadn't a thing. Not a thing, because my youngest child, my daughter, was, what, about six at the time, and uh, but not to fear, by the time the baby arrived the next day, I had everything we needed. Confirmed. So yeah. must, yeah, no, must
1: be organised.
0: No, my neighbours and everything helped me out.
1: Yeah, good for them. We good were great. It
0: was great. Yeah. yeah, and that child actually only stayed with me for I think it was ten days.
1: Oh right, gosh. Yeah. So just. And I was it. so
0: heartbroken that it could have been ten years, and I said to myself, I made such a show of myself in front of a social worker when she came out crying, and I was I was just inconsolable. And I said to myself, she's never going to come out here again. I'm a, no- I'm a total mess. They won't give yeah. me, won't me yeah. another
1: child. Well, it's just, I suppose it's testament to how well and how quickly you bonded with um, the particular yeah. child involved. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose it also kind of brings to my mind how, how difficult it must be for a parent to actually have to hand over a child to foster oh, sometimes. Yeah. If you got that bond so quickly.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, over the years, I have to say, Morris, I, I've seen some heartbreak, and you know, over those initial four years, but for the four years um, I was doing the pre adoptive and I had fourteen babies come into my care in that four years. Now, I had babies later on as well, but the sadness, the heartbreak of young women, you know, having babies, and you knew that. Some of them, they couldn't even tell their parents. I mean, back then in the eighties, there was there was still a terrible stigma attached to having a child outside of wedlock. It was terrible. It was. Uh, my heart always goes out to those girls.
1: Yeah. Well, of course, see, their their babies ended up in a much better place than if they'd been into well, some of the homes that we've heard that we've heard about over the years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because I mean, uh, in, at that time, um, the majority of the babies would have gone for adoption. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So over those years then, since the 80s, and we're, God, we're talking about nearly 40 years now, it's amazing. You must have been, mm. well, I was going, no, I better not say that. You must have been a very young woman when you got the first oh,
0: one. Oh, God, I am, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Still very young <laughs> at heart anyway, by the sound of you. Um, <laughs> over, over the years then, um, Joan, like, y- 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 you described that one, the very first one, as pre-adoptive, and they were presumably very. all relatively short-term um, I, I presume then there's some that would be kind of in and out for a few days in emergencies, and then some that you'd have for long term as well.
0: Well, um, I had the pre-adoptives for about, or oh, some of them for about eight months. So it was quite a wrench when they did leave, and the whole house in love with the child and all of that. So yeah, that was that was a difficult time. But in between all that, then um, just after those initial four. The first four years, um, a baby came into our care, and uh, I knew that she was going to be. Um, they were looking for a long-term placement for her, so I asked the social worker if I could apply, and I did. I wrote a letter, pleading my case, said how much we loved her, begged them to let us have her in our home, and they did. Oh, lovely! Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, Yeah, we got the long-term... It was a long-term care order granted for that baby at that time, and she stayed with us, and um, she's still part of our family. Oh, that's lovely. I'm glad
1: you mentioned the us part of it as well, because... um, you know, I know we're talking to you, and you, you did mention that you had, you run your, you got your first uh, pre-adoptive child to look after. That your youngest of your own children was six. So I presume there's there's your husband Pierce there, and all the rest of the family as well. So they're not just landing into you; they're landing into yeah. a kind of a, a full family situation. Um, I'm sure you've I'm sure you've kind of evolved your way of working that. Um, over over the years, but it's, I'm sure it's like it's challenging at time for everybody in the family, isn't it, to have mm-hmm. somebody just landed mm-hmm. in on you like that? Mm-hmm.
0: It, it is, it is, Mars. And, and you know, when you were doing babies, your own children didn't kind of mind. Everybody loved the baby. Even if it's the type of baby that you're walking the floor with all like night, crying with colic, colic and whatever, but they loved the babies. So, um, when I started then, say, coming in and taking respite taking emergency placements i mean they my children could go to school in the morning and when they'd come home in the evening there could be maybe three extra children in the home
1: oh my goodness
0: that they wouldn't have known anything about and and i would have got very little notice of it either because that was the type of fostering that i did i was open to it and um You know, it it, it all happened quick for the children that were coming to me as well. Now, they might only stay for maybe a weekend, but then they might stay for a week. And your children came in and the table was already full. As my daughter actually, within the last year we were talking about this, and my daughter said to me, my daughter's a a grown woman, as you can imagine right now. Mm. And she said to me, I often came in and looked around the table and thought, where am I going to sit? But and I and we laughed at it. But you know that you, That that's the big ask of your own child as well. Yeah. Um. And for your own children, then to share what they have with these strangers, because at the time they are strangers.
1: Mm, very um, much so, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. But the other side of the coin is you must try and think what's it like for those children.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's so you know, it's so difficult. Like, for you okay,
0: at least mine were coming home. Maybe the table was a bit tight, but sure you managed, and you put them in and you fed everybody. But those children that came in to me, they weren't coming home. they were coming to a complete stranger
1: mm-hmm. and the um, ones that the ones that you would have had then for a longer time like that, that were maybe a little bit well well beyond gone beyond being babies did it yeah. did it typically take them uh, you know much time then to settle in with yourself and your husband and and your children?
0: Mm-hmm. It, it did over time um what i would have in those cases what would have happened to me say for instance this particular case that i have in my mind right now that i'm talking about um they would have initially come for a weekend and then um they would have gone back say they've come friday gone back monday then a couple of weeks after they would have come again on the friday maybe stayed until tuesday so it 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 got better. They got more settled in, they knew our ways, we knew their ways, we were friends, you know what I mean? We had a mm. we built up a rapport with those kids and those kids liked to come to us. Mm. And that was the main thing, that when they were asked or when they needed to come again for a break, um, they were happy to come.
1: Mm. And then obviously I assume, mixed emotions when you eventually had to say goodbye to them, hurt or, well, or are anyway not total goodbye. yeah
0: absolutely I mean yeah you're delighted that they're able to go back and man is better and everything turns out good but you know you are sad for them as well and you do miss them because you get used to them coming mm-hmm. but you know uh, so often people have said to me "Oh, I, I couldn't foster, I, I just couldn't foster because I, I couldn't be giving them back and I couldn't be saying goodbye and all of that but I, I'm always trying to say to people instead of taking the negative of the goodbye, think of all the good that can happen for those few yeah. weeks, few yeah. months and for the good times you can have then with them, yeah, I'm sure and, the lot them yeah.
1: and I'm sure a lot of them keep in touch with you and even drop back to visit if they're in the neighbourhood
0: yeah, uh, a few. Not too many now, Morris, I have to be honest in saying that, but yeah, there are a few that I would be in contact with, all right.
1: Yeah, which is nice. But that's,
0: that's the name of the game as well.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose you have to be prepared for that, don't you, like to... to you do. Yeah, Yeah, to they live their lives yeah, and yeah. they
0: move on in their lives, and um, we moved on in ours, and... That's just
1: how yeah. it So you have to let your own children move on in their lives as well, you know. So Absolutely. it's kind of only kind of a bit yeah. of an extension Absolutely. of that idea. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. back in back in the eighties then, as he described, that very first um baby arriving for, for pre adoptive um fostering, um, it certainly sounds like John that there was no uh you didn't get much training in it or guidance or anything like that. All the way on uh, back all the way over the the years now and where we've got to right now. Um, and Tusla are involved, and there's so much, so much regulations and everything mm-hmm. around child protection. And um, mm-hmm. for somebody starting along the same road now, um, do they get a, a fair bit of training and guidance and support from Tusla? They
0: do get a lot of training, Morris. I mean, um, I didn't have any training. I didn't have anything. And you know, I was just saying to a social worker friend of mine there lately. Was I? Was I? in the position at all to foster, I had no training because it didn't happen back then. I mean, 34 years ago, there was no training. Mm. But now there is training and um, there's eight sessions of foundations for fostering. Uh, I Actually, I facilitate at that now. That's another little, I suppose a branch that I come out of. One oh, right. so one of the,
1: one of the trainers. Good for yeah.
0: you. And um, there are an awful lot of... Um, other types of training like they will put on first aid, they'll put on attachment training, oh god there's so much now yeah, that you can yeah. learn you know and have guidance
1: in um, and does the training does the training ever involve having somebody um, like an um somebody who's an adult now but who had been fostered, would, would they come in and kind of talk about their own experience so you get the other side of the story
0: we have had that yeah from time to time and um That has worked well, and we're hoping to bring it in. Of course, with COVID now, we're not able to bring anybody Um, as it is now. We're trying to do it on that uh, Samsung team, which is quite difficult uh, because you're not on a one-to-one with people, which means so much to be on a one-to-one, to be in the same room and, you know, taking the questions and trying to give the answers and all that. Now it's more difficult right now but hopefully, when we do go back
1: to normal, whenever it is, Ah. that will, yeah, that would definitely be happening. Yeah, and um, fostering itself, like, you know, there's obviously, there would still be, COVID hasn't stopped children um, needing fostering care. So I presume children are still being foster cared and are being placed into foster care and have been Mm -hmm. since uh, the COVID hit. Yes, and you know, there's
0: always, always, without even COVID, there's always a want for foster carers i mean unfortunately we do need foster carers um to come on board we need people to apply that would have the 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 real wanting them to become foster carers you know to be able to do that and i mean you can do it people shouldn't be thinking of the negative as i said to you earlier they should be thinking of the positive Mm -hmm. is it for them um and, and it is like, it is like, you know, to be fair, um, it is parenting. Oh, I, of course. Most, yeah, mm. it is parenting, but it is parenting plus, mm. I suppose. To be fair, you do have to spread yourself back a little bit more when you take in a foster child because, of course, you're going to have access. You may have appointments, that you didn't have, you know, maybe doctor's appointments. You're going to have extra, extra activities outside of school that you're going to get them involved in in the community pieces that maybe you wouldn't have done yourself um, so yeah you need to look at all that and you need to make sure it's, it's really what you want to do but I think an awful lot of people out there could do it but don't have the trust and the faith in themselves
1: to do it hmm. so I suppose if they're listening to you and sounding like as if it's a lovely thing and they, they they think or they wish they could do it you'd be encouraging them to say just take the plunge and go for it okay. yeah, yeah.
0: you have a gut feeling for it and you know um, I think as well as that Maris there there comes with it a passion um, where as heartbroken as you are when one child leaves your care. Uh, I think the passion uh, then that rises in you again looking forward to the next child that you can help along the way for as long as it's, or as short as that child needs mm. I think that's when you can do it, you can do it if you have that in you
1: Well your passion and enthusiasm and all the rest certainly comes um, shining through Joan, kind of, oh, uh, thank you. you're yeah, obviously a great example to anybody who's even vaguely thinking of it and hopefully listening to us today there'll be some more um, foster parents uh, recruited um, to, into into the yeah, service and you'll, you'll be able to train them in anyway and give them the benefit of your own experience and well, knowledge that you've gained over the years.
0: Yeah, I do try and help people that are interested and I have had people that would ring me and have called to the house here and inquired about it and I've always been open to helping them.
1: Great, great. Um,
0: and I would like to say Maurice if I could now I don't want to butt in but you know there's so much I could say about fostering and so much that i could i wouldn't have time and this program wouldn't have time but i i would say as well that uh, a lot of people that decide maybe oh yeah i can do that fostering but they only think of the child and it would be expected of you to be fair that you would make some kind of a, an effort with uh, parents of the child and try and get to know them the parents as mm-hmm. well they yeah. are involved in the child's life and you can't um, be I suppose uh, what would I say you just need to be able to be befriend. Yeah, yeah I suppose that's, the whole, that's, that's
1: a whole that's that's whole other area of fostering. I suppose, yeah. as you mentioned, we unfortunately we don't have time to get into, but we'll have to have you back no. again before too long, Joan, and to have a yeah. have a wider conversation about it all. Look, in the meantime, anyway, it's been lovely talking to you again. And, Thank you very um, much for, up, for having me. Keep up the good work. Oh, you're very welcome indeed. It's a delight, actually, Joan. Take care. And all the best Thank to yourself you. and uh, Pierce, the husband and, and uh, family and indeed anybody you have um, at home there that you might be caring for at the moment. Take care. Thank you very much. All the best, Joan. Bye. Okay, bye. bye-bye, bye. That was Joan Ryan. Text who's us care. on 086 353 7782.
0: We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.
1: You're listening to Kilkenny today with Maurice O'Connor on Community Radio Kilkenny City.ie Kilkenny's weather on
0: Community Radio Kilkenny
2: City 88.7 FM. CRKC Weather is sponsored by TRP Bennisbridge Parts. We have moved to the Hebron Industrial Estate in Kilkenny City. We're beside Community Radio Kilkenny City.
1: Tonight the showers will become more frequent. A few mist and fog patches will develop. In the light easterly breezes, lowest temperatures 2 to 4 degrees Celsius inland, but not as cold on the coast with lows of 7 to 9 degrees. Tomorrow, Saturday, will be mainly dry with sunny spells, becoming increasingly cloudy throughout the day with scattered showers. Highest temperatures 10 to 13 degrees Celsius with moderate easterly winds.
0: Kilkenny's Weather on Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM
2: CRKC Weather is sponsored by TRP Bennis Bridge Parts. We have moved to the Hebron Industrial Estate in Kilkenny City. We're beside Community Radio, Kilkenny City.
1: Now Welcome back. It's now 27 minutes past 5 o'clock here on Community Radio Kilkenny City on Friday 16th of October, halfway through October, um, or thereabouts, a little bit more than halfway, anyway, we won't argue over that. Um, lovely to have you with us again, as usual, here on the Friday and all the way through to the top of the hour and into the evening here on Community Radio Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM and crkc.ie on the internet if you can't... Um, here the signal on the FM wave bands. Now, uh, my next guest is uh, somebody I've, I've had also on the programme before, probably face-to-face the last time we were talking, Eilish Walklet. Um, you were you were in here with me, I think, certainly um, it was face-to-face the last time, wasn't it? Hi, Morris, good
2: evening to you. Yes, yes, we were we were sitting across from each other the last time.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit more restrictive um, now, but anyway, it's good to, good to be able to talk to you anyway. Um, right you're right. still... Plowing the furrow anyway with um, Ossery youth and uh, doing doing what you, you all do very very well up there and uh, I suppose I did say this at this top of the show that I was going to try and stay away from COVID but of course it's impossible to and it is. like everything else uh, the pandemic has had a big impact on the the young people that you provide services to up in Ossery youth yeah
2: it has indeed I think um, obviously everyone has been affected. Um, But I think kind of the 15 to 25-year-old age group, they've had to just massively change their lifestyle, Um, like, so quickly. You know, a lot Mm. of new regulations and rules, but they've been super around it. Um, Mm. But yes, it kind of does come at a cost.
1: Yeah, I know you had a big piece there in the Kilkenny people um, this this week's one, and making some very interesting points, and as well, pointing out particularly the... The kind of quandary that you find yourselves in or, and young people find themselves in where where you as a, as a service provider for them are trying to encourage them um, particularly the young people that you support not to be kind of isolating themselves from the world and society and their peers and all the rest and not to be distancing them and now all of a sudden you've kind of over the last num- months they've had to be trying to do that and yes. getting themselves into knots presumably or possibly over that
2: Exactly, and a few young people like that we've worked with, they would have even kind of joked that they were built for this. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're happy, they're getting much more support from schools, you know, they were allowed to stay at home, um, they were in their happy place. You know, obviously not for everyone, but um, for, for some people they were kind of, it was a relief yeah. almost to not have all the external things that they were supposed to do. Um, You know, they would have been struggling maybe with school, like, and attending school anyway. Um, So they definitely did find the benefits of that.
1: Yeah, Um, but you'd, you'd, you'd presumably be trying to, you know, encourage them more, a bit more back into the mainstream normally anyway.
2: Of course, of course. And a lot of them actually wanted to kind of integrate and socialize a bit more after only a short period of time. I think it wore off very quickly, even for people who would have been socially anxious beforehand. Um, it just—it was so paramount how important social interaction and face-to-face meetups are.
1: Yeah, and like so for for the, the the number of people that you you do provide service to, um, Irish, how you know those kind of people that you described as being happy out um, and in their happy place when uh, the initial restrictions hit and they've had to get used to those or kind of relax into that or whatever. Um, do you find them, you know, a- after going through the period of, oh, this is great now, but has it changed for their perception and their way of looking at the world? Has it kind of changed back into maybe a bit more anxious feeling about where is this all going and, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, I think that's definitely there to quite a level. They're probably picking up on anxiety from parents and teachers, from adults, from everyone around because again it's the first time in our lifetime that we've lived through something like this so it's the unknown i think is frightening for everyone um and some people you know they're really trying to kind of make sure that they're getting back out there but it's just it changes as you know like it can mm. change from week to week
1: mm. and then of course you'd, you'd be well way more aware than i have of you know that the, the the importance and the lives of younger people of the you know social media and technology in general but then then the, the downsides and the risks and i think particularly platforms like twitter have been getting an awful bad name recently but you know these are maybe twitter isn't the, the most popular way of interconnecting uh, between young people at the moment maybe it's tiktok or instagram or whatever else is snapchat or whatever else is there yeah. But you know what i mean they all have their, their they have their upsides but they have their downsides and all of those get amplified really at the moment
2: they really do, because again it's it's encouraging almost the isolation more kind of because just because people are at home, it doesn't mean that everyone is interacting even within the family, you know, especially if there's an overuse of technology and stuff, so it's just you know we're constantly talking about that and trying to kind of encourage people you know if we're well, we can physically meet up for now. Um, But even if they can't, you know, if they don't feel comfortable, then that's fine, you know, we'll do it over Zoom or over WhatsApp or phone calls or go for a walk one-to-one. There's been a lot of that Mm. throughout the pandemic Mm. with staff.
1: How has the whole group thing um, worked out? You mentioned Zoom there. You know, people run in business and other activities like are well used to it, doing one-to-ones or group meetings or conference calls or whatever. Like, How has is, how is it worked in terms of replacing the kind of face-to-face uh, activity and um, programs that you run up in Desert Hall?
2: Yeah, we all had to learn pretty pretty fast. Um, so we did. We were on Zoom from kind of March until June, really, Um And a lot of young people attended, like nearly everyone at the start um, would have attended, but there was a slight Zoom fatigue then, just before we could start meeting up Mm. face-to-face. I think a lot of people felt that, you know, it was kind of, people were ready to to get back out and meet again. Um, And we're lucky under the Youth Work kind of government guidelines that we have been able to meet in smaller groups. Do you know, um so we're we're really lucky in that sense.
1: Which I suppose bridged the bridged the gap during the summer holidays, the summer school holidays to an extent which is a good yeah. good coincidence.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, they could get back to some sort of normality that they that mm. they were used to you know even just yeah like that seeing
1: friends again and kind of it was nice as well that they had that before they went back to school. Yeah do you think given what's li- looking like happening now or uh, the way things have been getting worse do you think they've in, in general the young people that you deal with their support have built up a kind of a built their batteries back up built up a level of resilience again and, a, and, a, and an ability to cope if, it, if the, a lockdown gets even more restrictive than it is at the moment?
2: Possibly, I think it has for some young people Um, It's a little bit mixed Some would say that they almost feel too busy now Like everything just came back at once And there is anxiety then Anyone going into Leaving Cert You know, it didn't seem so straightforward For people who've just come through it So they're nervous of that Um, You know, some people are too anxious also To go back to school Or Mm. just with all the restrictions, they don't feel comfortable. So, like, people are at such varying levels. Like, we're getting a lot of um, worried parents kind of going, you know, my young son or daughter kind of is nervous about going in, but maybe, you know, what can we do to support them? And the schools have been great, you know, in in meeting with parents and Mm. young people. Mm. Um, But it is, everyone is, is totally in their own... You know, worries are, are confident enough to do it. It's it's really broad. So we just have to meet people where they're at hmm. um, and try and support them in that sense. Yeah. We're doing a lot of groups and stuff outdoors. because I think, you know, a lot of young people feel more comfortable you know kind of social distancing and being outdoors and yeah. the parents feel more comfortable
1: yeah, as well, well hopefully um, well of course the, the chances of the weather facilitating that now get a bit less and less as time goes yeah. on and one of the yeah. i know one of the group things in the programs that you have been running for quite a while um, presumably indoors is um when you call head hackers um are you you're trying to restart that or could it get yeah. a bit of different shape or where is that particular one at
2: well, what we kind of do with Head Hackers for the last couple of years is we run it as a nine or ten month program, and then that comes to an end. So young people are supported. They know the end, you know, so they're supported coming towards that. Some people, like for instance, from the last group, some people went on to other groups within Ossery. You know, they were confident enough at that stage to do that. Or they went on to maybe young Irish filmmakers or, you know, external. Mm. Some might remain in one to one support. Or might even want to do the following head hackers. So it's run kind of twice a year, you know, it follows one year into the next. Um so we're setting up a new group at the moment and it's for fifteen to eighteen year olds. Yeah. Um and because it's for people who are quite anxious, it's 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 always a small group. We kinda of cap it at six six young people.
1: Mm. So um, it's all is it all about kind of building up their social confidence, their sociability, yeah. their yeah, comforts with just being with their peers.
2: Yes, oh, yeah. yeah, like most young people who are attending it, they don't want to be in a group. Like, that's maybe too difficult. Um, so it's very slow. We kind of meet young people on a one-to-one first and then eventually come together as a group. Mm. But again, it's always been so supportive because everyone kind of knows what it's like. Um, and it's just... Each group is different, it depends on what they focus on. The last group, they were kinda looking at self-reflection a lot, um, different coping mechanisms, how to make good decisions, um, just different resilience skills. And we'd work with a lot of outside facilitators with the group as well, hmm. um, you know, in order to do that. So hmm. I don't know what this group will do yet.
1: So have you're um, Have you? you starting up another group now or, or has it yeah. already started?
2: Yeah, we've met with some of the young people. There's probably one or two spaces Okay. Um, so we started the one-to-one side of it. So by the end of the month, we should be slowly coming together as a small group.
1: Great. Another one you, you mentioned as well, and I think talking earlier on about, well, you didn't mention it directly, but uh, talking about having kind of one-to-one um just kind of meetings with with young people and talking to things with them i know you have a, a program kind of specifically designed towards that um for mentoring where the, the whole concept of the one good adult in the, in the young person's life um is that still ongoing or is there yeah are you looking for people to join in either as mentors or indeed to to be i don't know what the verb is to be menteed mentored yeah be mentored yeah
2: yes we're, we're looking for both at the minute we have recruited um four new mentors at the minute but we're always on the lookout for more it's anyone who can kind of give you know roughly an hour a week who are really interested mm. in supporting someone and just building up a, a relationship with them because a lot of young people who come in they might be in camps or or may not be ready for counseling yet they just they just want one good adult who they can just meet with once mm. a week in uh, a more informal basis
1: and i presume you you do a bit of kind of well obviously training for the the mentor and a bit of kind of matching like it's in the yes. like kind of a more, much more serious way than you do it on a on a dating site but you of match the <laughs> match the uh, match the mentor and the person big the young person as well as best you very can much in advance so. yeah. yeah yeah
2: yeah very much um yeah, yeah no because we would know all the mentors having gone through the training with us And then, obviously, we would have met with the young people a couple of times as well. Mm. So we'd have a good idea kind of who would work together. But again, there's no pressure. If it doesn't naturally gel, you know, then we would go with somebody else. But generally, generally it does. Um, So the staff would have taken over a lot of the one-to-one mentoring during the lockdown. But now mentors are starting to meet up again, you know, kind of... You know, very safely and following procedures as well.
1: So, anybody then who might be interested in either um, one, the young person in their their family uh, getting involved or availing of the service of the Head Hackers program, or indeed um, wanting to volunteer as a mentor, or indeed a parent who might want their guardian who might want their young person to be mentored by somebody else, um, can they get in touch yeah. directly with you, or how? Where should they yeah, go? Yeah,
2: they can. They can just get in contact with us through they can email me um, at ewalklet at or 87 or just ring the office and leave a message um, and someone will always get back to you.
1: Great, great. Well, hopefully um, you'll find, well, obviously if you've managed to find your way through the first six months of the pandemic anyway and hopefully it'll keep going like that and the service will keep continuing and uh, all the young people will benefit. From yeah, that. we're definitely
2: one of the lucky ones that we can continue to kind of work and support young people. Um, yeah, it's been great that way. And we like every time there's an announcement, we have a COVID team in work. Yeah, and We kind of just plan instantly then what we can and can't do following the guidelines.
1: Well, I suppose um, maybe I'm being sweepingly generalistic here, but um, given that you are serving young people, um, you would expect or hope that maybe for the vast majority of those the technology familiarity issue is taken out of the equation um in, in the way that isn't the case with um, you know, online services for people who might be a bit older and less tech familiar.
2: Possibly, but I don't mm-hmm. think any of them knew about Zoom. No. I don't think anyone did. It just came out of nowhere. Um it did. No, and some some there is a wave of young people though, kind of staying away from WhatsApp and Facebook and Snapchat. You know, there's but no, no, they do. They
1: get to grips with it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that'll be an, an outcome, that an unexpected outcome of the pandemic, that there'll be a bit of technology saturation and people uh, looking for other yeah. outlets to, to creatively and talk, um, well, well occupy their, their times. Anyway, um, look, it's been great talking to you, Eilish. Again, I hope everything goes Thanks well for so yourself much. and your colleagues up in Ossery Youth. And I'll repeat those numbers then uh, just, uh, just after the break. Lovely. Have a great weekend, Eilish. lovely you talking too. to you. You too. Thanks, Mark. All Take the best. Care. Bye-bye. So it's now 42 minutes past uh, 6 o'clock, 18 minutes to... uh, 42 minutes past 5, excuse me, 18 minutes to 6. And we take another ad break. And we'll be back with uh, Thomas Dunning, who's a Principal Social Worker with TUSLA. Text us on 086 353 7782.
0: We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.
1: You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Maurice O'Connor. Welcome back, just bang on, almost uh, quarter to six here on Community Radio, Kilkenny City. And uh, that was Irish Walklet, just a youth worker with Osra Youth, just before the break. And if you missed the contact details for Irish and you're interested in either volunteering as a mentor or um, uh, suggesting to a child of yours that you they might like to be mentored by somebody in Ossery Youth um, you can get in touch with Eilish at 087-944-2112 or you can email her at ewalklett that's E-W-A-L-K-L-E-T-T at Ossery Youth. Dot com Indeed, um, there are still some places left on their Headhackers programme, as Eilish mentioned uh, just before the break as well. Now, at the top of the show, um, we were talking to Joan Ryan, foster care, who's a local woman here in Gregna Namana has been fostering since the early or the mid-80s, and uh, because it's National Fostering Recruitment Week, and uh, Joan was talking to, us about, talking to us about having pre-adoptive babies and uh, young children placed in, in her care, and really what she was talking about was, um, I suppose, children who are uh, born... And rared or being reared in Ireland so Irish children being placed into foster care and I think we're probably all very familiar about that and Tusla's role in connection with that but my next guest Thomas Dunning who's principal social worker with Tusla is involved in a different team um, and activity that Tusla also are responsible for and that's the team for separated children seeking asylum and good afternoon Thomas and lovely to have you with us.
3: Hi Morris thanks so much for having me on today we're really happy to participate in these activities
1: So Thomas, just to kick off, um, just tell us very briefly what, what is the Team for Separated Children Seeking Asylum?
3: Well <laughs> it's a, the Team for Separated Children Seeking Asylum it's a bit of a mouthful, I understand that but in, in common language we would say unaccompanied minors. So these are the young people who might present at the border uh, of Ireland, either at the airports or the seaports particularly um, who arrive unaccompanied without, without a, an adult care for them Mm. um and they and they can come from all over the world for many different reasons um and it's our job to uh under the child protection legislation here in ireland to make sure that um whether it's a 16 year old coming over from boston in the united states to have a weekend in temple bar or they're a child from afghanistan fleeing a war zone Mm. uh however they get here and uh, we have to look after them and that's and so we do our assessments. and that's that team the team emerged when uh, we started seeing an increase in inward migration uh back in around 2000 you know 1990 1998 1999 2000 and we realized that at the time it would have been the health boards and then the HSE before we became too slow um but we would have realized that that we needed to have a a bespoke service, a designated team mm. specific for this particular cohort of children who are at risk.
1: Yeah, and uh, like you, you, you would have yeah, uh, very, very, different circumstances. I wouldn't have thought about the child coming over from Boston for a weekend in Temple Bar. Absolutely. And but um, <laughs> if you're, it seems that you mentioned that. I presume it's happened. Um, like, and and you know, have you kind of an approximate number? Uh, what's been the size of the number of kind of young people you've you've placed um, since so, the service started up?
3: Well. Since we've been tracking the figures in two thousand, um, we've we've had we've had over seven thousand referrals to our service and we've right. brought into care three thousand over three thousand six hundred and twenty. Um, and that's just as as of the end of last year. So we've had over we've brought we've brought into care over three thousand six hundred and twenty. Now it's fair in, in fairness, <clears throat> in two thousand and ten we implemented the equity of care principle and we closed the hostels that we were using because the the state wasn't really prepared for the numbers that were coming in Mm -hmm. So we we in two thousand and ten we started really recruiting foster carers opening up new opening up new um, children's residential units just like an irish child would have you know uh, if they were in care and so since two thousand and eleven when we when that was fully implemented we've we've brought into care seven hundred and thirty one children uh, that
1: have needed placements. Yeah, so it's quite a, quite a number. It's a big number, yeah. 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 No, I, b- I believe as well that now we, we were talking, as, a, as I said, to, to Joan Ryan earlier on about providing foster care, but I believe what you describe the service that you provide or the, the way you place um, young people is into what you call supported lodging. So what's the essential difference really between that and foster care? Yeah, th-
3: that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, supported lodging is another intervention uh, in the umbrella of foster care and and, and child protection um it, it, it years ago something there's something very common and popular in ireland called digs where 17 18 19 year olds would rent a room in a house Th- this yeah. isn't that this isn't that this is much much different but just to say it might be a little bit closer to that than than to Fostering what what Joan and what an amazing story she told today of having mm. uh, the gift of all those children coming and leaving. You know the sweetness of the leaving. You can't. I mean, she really spoke to that so beautifully, um, and it's something that I would really struggle with as, as an adult. You know, looking after young people saying goodbye. But just to say that in in supported lodgings, most of our referrals to our service Morris are fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds. Most okay. of them are boys. Yeah. So, uh, so a sixteen-year-old boy doesn't need the level of fostering and, and nurturing that a five-year-old would you would need, right? Or no. a seven-year-old. But a very,
1: a very, very different. Though I'm just thinking. Of, uh, you know, leave aside the guy coming over from Boston for a minute, because at least he speaks. Presumably, he speaks <laughs> English. But like the yep. Afghanistani child or a Syrian child or you know somebody from you know some of the the uh, african countries that presumably arrive here yeah a lot of those i i'd guess you know their level of english is either non-existent or very poor and that must be a huge challenge in itself
3: teaching getting the young people up to um a, a standard of english comprehension and usage where they can enter mainstream school is a big part of Of the work that we do, and and we do ask our carers to help them do that, you know, in the kitchen. You know, a a lot of our kids need to learn how to cook and and buy groceries in Ireland and learn how to prepare for independent living, because most unaccompanied minors, as I said, are at the upper end of their teen years, Mm. 15, 16, 17, and so they need to know, how do I negotiate the bus to the mosque, the bus to school, how do I... How do I speak to people in public, on the street, on O'Connell Street in Dublin, city centre? So it's a whole different set of skills that they yeah. need as far as their integration and, and d- pre- preparing them for adulthood. Yeah,
1: and even like when you're talking about preparing, do you, do you, do you even, like, when, it, when it, say, you get a 15-, 16-year-old Afghanistani boy or Syrian boy who arrives here, very little English, is on a company, does no idea even maybe where he is, um, and indeed the occasional girl, I presume it applies to as well, uh, what what happens to them initially? You can't just take those and put them into a in, into a supported lodging in a family home. Presumably, there's an interim, or is there some interim yeah, stage or we're, process?
3: We're fortunate. We have what we we have a few um, short term intake units that we um, use to. While while we're, while the social workers are conducting their their welfare assessment, I mean the first question we ask any child you know that's alone in the world is where's your mom and dad where's your family I mean that's always the first question yeah. and if we can get if we can get in touch with mom and dad wherever they might be in the world that's that's a really great starting point and when that's possible that's great but sometimes we, we can't and so we need to find out what are their medical what's the child's medical situation what's their education what's their trauma history what's their what's their migration story And and, and not from an international protection kind of uh, immigration piece, but from a child welfare assessment Mm. piece and a child protection piece. We need to know, did somebody hurt you back home? Did somebody hurt you on the way here? Or did somebody hurt you after you arrived here? Hopefully not in any of the situations. And what we have in front of us is a child that needs to be protected. And one of the great things that I love about Ireland is that we have a really strong child protection foundation in our legislation. And so, you know, this is a child first. This is not an asylum seeker. This is a child, and we're going to attend to that first and make sure that we have that this child has their basic needs met and that includes you know food shelter, education, spirituality um, whatever whatever the needs of the child might be we want to attend to those and then we we work with other government departments to you know organize uh, and, and arrange for their the, to their, whether they need a residency permission, whether they need to be brought back to their family. Maybe their father's in Germany, and the child ended up in Ireland. Maybe they were traveling together and got separated en route. You know, so, so you know, we have to try to find out what are the needs of this individual-specific child. Mm-hmm. And the, foster, the, the, the fostering carers and the supportive lodgings carers, you know, they support us in holding the child while we're doing some of that administrative work in the background.
1: Now, I know, um, I I gather from just hearing on the news over the last couple of years, um, in particular, um, Irish government commitments to bringing... Um, numbers quoted, numbers of people in from places like Syria and indeed it's kind of reared its head again in relation to Lesbos as I'm sure you well know and there's a commitment there to bring in a, a certain number of people and I assume that of those there will <coughs> always be some, as, as you describe them um, unaccompanied minors. Um, they they presumably have, because they're part of like a commitment from the Irish government, I presume they have an automatic right to stay when they get here um, but uh, then there there be others who might just rock up on a plane or off a truck from God knows where, um, and they don't. But you 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 take them all in um, for 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 the second cohort of people then that don't have that right. I presume they go through uh, an asylum application process, uh, or and maybe uh, or get permission to stay. Uh, if the, which presumably is the most positive outcome for them, and then they'll they'll reach 18. So what typically happens then when they they reach 18? Do they finish their education here, or how does it work out for them?
3: Yeah, well, sure, j- but j- just to clarify one point that whether sure. whether um, whether we're going over to um, uh, the other EU member states to bring young people here who are caught up in the refugee crisis, or we're, or someone is arriving at the frontiers um, at Dublin Airport or at Cork Airport, or in Waterford at the, at the seaports, we, we, we don't really know about what the outcome of their immigration uh, arrangements are going to be, because sometimes young people have to go through the process regardless of how they get here. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so that can happen, but just so then moving towards when they turn 18, Well, if one of the things that's challenging for all social workers working with children uh, in Ireland is in, in care. Is the whole aftercare, leaving care, the transitioning into adulthood, and mm-hmm. making sure that young people are both prepared and supported to make that transition? Because our young kids that we work with on our team, and we're a national service, um, so we cover the whole the whole of the republic. But we 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 need to make sure that they aren't at risk of homelessness, poverty, exploitation when they turn 18 and want to go out into the world on their own. Mm-hmm. So we have we have um, some really great new aftercare legislation that's come through and um, uh, and policies around aftercare that are really helpful in making sure that we can continue to support the young people while they finish their education. Um, and we have standards for fostering that allow that if a young person is, is in a foster placement and they're in full-time education and they and they're entitled to a foster care uh, to an aftercare benefit um, You know, if they meet the criteria you know if you're with a foster family for a year and a half you know and the foster family and you just, and the young person want to conti- continue on that arrangement then we support that and we can we can let that continue on to make sure that the young person yeah. isn't isn't moved on into independent living before they're ready because what's really important with separated children and unaccompanied minors is that i can't talk to the aunts and the uncles and the teachers and the neighbors and the no, priests and because and the doctors, there's nobody around that I can go to to say, "Paint a picture. What's going on with this kid?" Yeah. So because of that, um, because of that, they're at a much greater level of, of vulnerability, um, yeah. and we have the language barrier too. You know, so we're doing our assessments through translation
1: sometimes yeah, and a very quick um, uh, very quick, accelerated time scale I suppose when you, when you they it, might arrive exactly you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 exactly yeah. and just, just then just, uh, we're kind of getting close to the end of the show um, Thomas and I wish I could have had longer time to talk to you um, for anybody who might be listening and thinking well actually that sounds like a, mm-hmm. something that I might do I might be able to offer um, to Tesla where you know for somebody maybe not that's kind of put off a little bit by or maybe doubting mm. their capacity to foster, but uh, but willing or thinking they might be willing or able to um, offer supported lodging. Where do they go or who do they contact or what's the well, process? Very quickly,
3: our, 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 the first point of call would be fostering.ie, and I think that that's the best place for people to that that's Tusla's fostering kind of portal where people can express an interest. Okay. And even if you think, oh, you know, I, I don't, I only have. Um, I'm a single parent, or I, I don't have, you know, I've got another child here with a disability, I couldn't possibly foster. Well, maybe you could, and if you want to, and if you're interested, let us help you figure that out. So, so if somebody IE. goes to fostering.ie, they can just, they can put an expression of interest and say, I'd like to know more, and I'd also like to know more about separated children or unaccompanied minors. Right. You know, the children from Syria. Is a lo- you know, a lot of people are very interested in what's going on in Greece.
1: Yeah.
3: And, and, and lesbos, and... And um, uh, the, the fire we and the refugee there. We have got to let
1: you go, I'm afraid, Thomas. Oh, um, it's but been it's great been, talking to you. Lovely Thanks talking so to you as well. And, um, have, a weekend, and um, have a great weekend and very best wishes for the separated children seeking asylum service at Sansbury Thank you
3: for your time today. Really
1: appreciate you're, it. You're very, very welcome. Take care. Take care. Those. Bye-bye. And that's all we've time for today. Thanks to Thomas Dunning there, to Eilish Walklet and to DT Joan Ryan to start the show and to Anne Nolan for helping me put it all together. I'll be back with you again with another Kilkenny today on Tuesday. In the meantime, have a lovely weekend.